That's exactly the definition of fiduciary is to do what you said you were going to do in the best interest of the shareholders. Let me come at this real quick and add to that. The CEO of any publicly traded company is a fiduciary as well. Right. But we have to say, who is the fiduciary to? So the fiduciary at a mutual fund company is to generally the shareholders, not specifically. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where Jeff McClure could be heard to say... Yeah, but on the other hand... So expect that later in the episode, at some point, somewhere, along, uh, followed by the other hand. This is The Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure uh, uh, with... I'll do it the right way so we can say our names together. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. There we go. Now we said our names together and we're done for the day. We can go home now. All right. We can Wait go a home. I'm already at home. Um, I'm not. I'm at work. All right. So this is the Personal Wealth Coach. We're going to talk to you about stuff because this is the type of program it is. It's a talk program. So expect that as well coming forward. Before we talk about stuff, we have to talk about other things. And the other things we have to talk about are our disclosures. The, the Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of a radio program, though it is that. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Why do we have to tell you that? Well, because if we say something that's grossly inappropriate, um, we have less freedom of speech than other people who are not registered with the federal government to give investment advice. So the penalties are higher on us. We could have issues. If we were just a radio program, we could say anything we really wanted as most financial radio programs could and tell you stocks will go up forever or bonds are the safest thing ever or anytime you have ever at the end of it, um, you should never do that. Uh, anyway, uh, the SEC, just because we're registered with them, doesn't say that they uh, think that we're in any way better than anyone else. They do not uh, affirm us, give us credit or anything else. We simply registered with them and in the same time registered with them to give investment advice, which we can't give on the air. This is a long-winded statement about stuff that isn't things we can do on the air. What are we doing on the air? We're giving education. We can't give advice on the air because advice is supposed to be tailored to the person receiving it and in their best interest if it's the fiduciary advice. So that's not what we're doing. Hopefully, we're going to give you a bunch of education that lessens the confusion. Did you hear the question mark on the end of that? I did. I have only ever found that the more I study, the more I'm confused about things. Like, why don't we know that stuff already? Um, so registered with the SEC, but they're not buddy, buddy with us there. I should have said that like that. Uh, do you have a disclosure for us? Well, I can say that the information that we use on this radio program, this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but is neither warranted nor guaranteed as to its accuracy or completeness. 
I, I love that you say obtain. It makes it sound so much sexier than browsing the internet and looking at uh, verified sources. We obtained this data. We deem it to be reliable. That's cool. I mean, how often do you get to use deemed? I, I, I try to fit it into normal conversations. I deem this coffee is hot. There. So we have questions. We have uh, our most uh, disciplined and diligent questioner, Inquisitor John, has two quite good questions. Uh, Which one do you want to talk about? Do you mind if I take the digital dollar? I was afraid you were going to say that. You go can, ahead. You can I'll, have it if you, you want. I will do the no, mutual no, fund. You, if you, 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 you go one. for the. We can share them. The, Let's share them. No, no. I'll comment after you talk about the digital law. Okay. And then I'll comment after you talk about the other question. Okay. And then I'll All comment right. about your comment. Right. But who gets the last word? Aha. <laughs> you do. <laughs> or you, you do. do cause you're, no, you do because you're younger than me. Anyway, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. Chicken <laughs> and the egg. There we go. Okay. So the, the first question is the digital dollar. Um, as is tradition. Thank you, John, for following tradition. He has sent us a digital picture through his phone of the paper version of the Wall Street Journal for our perusement and pleasure. On that picture, he has uh, a story headline, Lawmakers Press Fed for Digital Dollar. And on that article, he has circled a part of it saying, the idea, idea faces stiff resistance. The banking industry generally says the costs of a central bank digital currency outweigh any benefits that it would directly compete with private bank deposits, making loans more expensive. Now, the question he has is, with most banking transactions completing, completed with computers, what would be the benefit of a digital dollar? It's a great question. Before I answer your question, because we're economists, we get to go and answer questions that nobody asked. I'm going to point something out about the area circled. There's no attribution. This is the Wall Street Journal, but they're saying it's facing stiff resistance and banking industry people generally say the costs of a central bank digital currency outweigh any benefits and that it would directly compete. Okay. That paragraph says that they don't understand what a digital dollar is. Most people don't. So let's take a step back and say, because in order to understand the answer, you have to understand the fundamentals here. What is a, what is a dollar? Well, a dollar by and large right now is already digital. It's just not using the same standard across the entire country. Well, that's silly. What's going on here, Jake? It sounds like you're just making this confusing. Each bank holds your money electronically. The vast majority of money is electronic money. It's not the paper stuff. That's a tiny fraction of 1%. It's less than 1% of the currency sitting out there. The rest of it is already in some form of digital media. The thing is that each bank has a different way of looking at it. Each bank has their own version of digital money. If you doubt that, if you have more than one bank account at the same bank, you can go on online and transfer money from one account to the other inside the bank instantly, presuming they're open when you do it. 
So that means that they have a, a digital representative with an, a representation with an ID number or some form of ID field for every penny in your bank account. So they know it went from that account to this account. So they know each dollar that they have and each penny that they have. They've been identified and given a name, an ID. But as soon as that bank tries to give it to another bank, they don't share the same software. They don't share the same IDs for each penny. They have their own. So when uh, Chase is transferring to Wells Fargo or Wells Fargo is transferring to USAA or Navy Federal Credit Union or anywhere else, none of those institutions have the same IDs for their money. A digital currency would basically have an ID for every penny that was issued by the Mint and the Federal Reserve, kind of like your paper money does now, but not like your pennies. Each penny does not have its own ID. You can't track every penny. You've got IDs on every paper bit of currency that you've got. Every one of them has an ID. It's labeled, and you can tell that this one is different than other ones. Yeah, but nobody tracks that. They do for they actually, robbery purposes and so on. They, oh. they do track with the, the numbers, and the banks do record that. They, when they put that stack of bills in the money counter, it's also recording the ID on the money. Mm. So they, the Federal Reserve could tell you where where any cash dollar has been deposited at any bank that uses those counters and provides the money to the Federal Reserve System. So that already exists. If you're just buying from other people with cash and nobody ever deposits it, it never gets recorded. If you have a digital currency, it's exactly that. It's just providing an ID for every piece of currency that's moving around. It's easier to track. It's easier to say for sure it was here and now for sure it is there. So you don't have to wait two weeks for a transfer to be valid at your bank account. You're moving a lot of money. You've just got a house sold or something. So what's the cost that, that the banking industry is talking about? Well, they have to completely redo all of their software. They don't really have to. They just have to add a field to their software that includes the digital ID. But that's a lot of work for a lot of banks to go in and say, hey, we need a new field and a new way of... In There's software changes that would have to be done from one end of the banking world to the other to include the fact that all of the currency now has a name for each piece. Does that make sense? So far, am I, mm -hmm. am I losing you at all? All, that, all it's doing is identifying each piece of money that's digital. Now, that will cut back on money laundering. It will also allow the government to see who has money. Well, they could already if you had it at the bank. They really could. So this isn't like lowering privacy levels. It is making it harder to launder money. It basically will say, where did the money come from originally? Okay, so having said all of that, the next part is that the, the bank, um, it would directly compete with private bank deposits making loans more expensive. 
There is a misunderstanding in that sentence. The Federal Reserve is not, nor is, is any member of the Treasury, saying that the United States government is going to be a depository for all your money because we have a digital currency. It's not. That's not what they're saying. Um, a lot of people that don't understand this think a digital currency would have to be at the government somewhere. The government would have to have it, and then you wouldn't have it deposited at the bank, so the banks couldn't make loans. There'd be less money at the bank, and, and so loans would be more expensive. But that's not what's happening here at all. Uh, it's the same as the existing money. They're just naming it all. Uh, and this is part of the reason why it takes a long time to do this, because they would have to coordinate with all of the banks to do an accounting of all of the bank money everywhere and then give IDs to all of the banks and not repeat them from one bank to another. So they have to give some kind of sequential IDs across all banks for all money. It's a big project. Um, and the Federal Reserve is saying we're more interested in getting this right than in getting it done quickly. I totally understand that because, I mean, it's very easy for money to have some serious problems if they accidentally give the same IDs to Wells Fargo and USAA. You follow what I'm saying there? <laughs> we need to get it done correctly. Uh, and the benefit of that, massive benefit, is that right now when your employer pays your, your pay and it's direct deposited, there is a fee that the employer is paying for that the transfer fee, because there's a lot of rigmarole in the background that has to go from one bank to another to assure the other bank that the money's actually there and actually arriving. So you have a fee on direct deposit. And then in other cases, when you're wiring money from Wells Fargo to USAA, if you don't pay a fee, to get that wiring done, if you just write a check and bring it over and hand it over, they have to verify that the check's not going to bounce. They have to wait to make sure that the other bank actually sends that money when requested because they don't know that the money exists outside of this piece of paper you handed them. So uh, digital currency just means naming all the currency with a unique name. Yes. The banks, and I've, I've actually done some research on this. Here's the issue. Right now, if you put your money in the bank, what interest rate do you get? Uh, it depends on the bank, depends on the type uh, of account. Type, effectively, from the, from the perception of the public. Nothing. Effectively zero. Yeah. Right. Okay. If digital currency is issued, it basically isn't going to exist in, in a, even a hypothetical paper form anymore. So it's digital, and you would have to have an app to access it of some kind, um, which sort of brings some interesting ramifications into the play anyway. But here's the point. If the Federal Reserve, which actually issues all money, has accounts they for the public where they issue digital currency, would people still leave their money in the bank at 0% in, a, in an environment like we have today? when they could have an app at the Federal Reserve that they could use for transferring money when they spend money? And the answer the banks think is, OMG, no, 
They will take all our free money away from us and the banks will all fold up. Which is, by the way, an interesting concept because right now, if you go directly to the Treasury of the United States, treasury.gov, you will see that I think it's 9.62% is being paid if you buy a Treasury Savings Bond Series I. And you have to hold it at least a year before you can cash it in. And there's some other yeah, restrictions. Just real quick, but, I'll say it in fast speed. Um, that rate changes every six months. It's available through um, the end of December. You can buy it through October. Nope. Yeah, October 22nd is when the it's rate, change interest rates. The interest rate doesn't change. There. That's how long you can buy it. Read it carefully. You can buy it. Mm -hmm. They're offering it for sale through October, but it pays through December. They announce the next right. interest rates exactly. in November. How's that for confusing? <laughs> it's an but annualized rate, um, so you would have to hold it at that rate for a year to get 9.62% rather than how Minus, then you, you lose interest if you cash it in earlier than five years. Yes. But he, here's the point. If the banks had to compete with that right now for CD money, mm -hmm. they'd be in a world of hurt. And a lot of money would leave the banks. I mean, people who had existing certificates of deposit in the bank would take them and send them to the treasury, which is why the treasury limits the purchases to $10,000 per person. Actually, it's $15,000 if you're using tax refund money. So overpay the IRS a bunch. And at least fifteen thousand dollars, and you can get uh, fifteen. You can deposit the fifteen thousand dollars in a Treasury Savings Bond Series I. Why do they put those limits on it? Man, can you see if the Treasury said we will pay nine point six two percent to anybody and everybody who wants to give us money with the restrictions you just listed? The yeah. banks would be out of money in no time. Uh, just and, as, a, as a side note, when we're looking at the budget for the U.S. government. About $98 billion more this year than last year is being spent by the United States government on inflation-protected securities of some type. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece to know. That is a huge amount of money. $98 billion is not chump change in anybody's book. Um, mm. who's, yeah, when, you, when unless, you're talking about a trillion, trillions, it gets pretty small. Though. Are you calling it chump change? Is that what you're saying? For the United States government, $98 million is a billion, billion. 98, Would they 98 be? Billion, even $98 That's, billion dollars starts to be, it's, it's a tenth of a trillion. Yeah, it's still a tenth of a trillion. So, so what we're saying is that this is expensive for the federal government, and they probably didn't mean for it to be quite as expensive. They didn't expect inflation to be like this. But back, back to you on the eyeball. But it gives them an incentive to get inflation down. <laughs> <It does. laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, the, 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 you were talking about digital currency. Yeah. I think we'll eventually go to a digital currency. I don't care what the banks say, but it's going to be an incredibly complex process as they get all the currency in the United States. All of the money in the United States, basically, as you said, has to be inventoried and given numbers. Yeah. The transition from using an analog currency, which we have today, we digitalize the analog currency, which is kind of like John taking a picture of the newspaper and sending it to us digitally. Right. And we don't have the, the same standard because everybody right. that takes a picture of the Wall Street Journal is going to have a different version of that picture. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like we read the Wall Street Journal purely in a digital format, which is cool, but it's still out there in the analog wait, format. Wait, I have to call time out. Did you say anything that we do 
is cool because our definition of cool is different, I think. We are nerdly in the extreme. When you say we read a digital version of the Wall Street Journal, which is cool, you cool. just yeah. you, you just confirmed that we're not cool by labeling that cool, just letting you know that. It's an important little piece to the puzzle. We are, we are bald. Danger, Will Robertson. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Digital currency, anyway. it's, a, it's a big process. It's a big process. The banks don't like it because basically, again, there, there needs to be it. If it happened, it somehow it could happen instantly, which it can't. I, I mean, can can I jump in real the, quick? The, the banks, the banks would be in a lot of pain. Yeah, um, this is like DVD standards. Blu-ray came out after the standards war. I don't know if you know a lot of people that listen. Most people that listen to this program actually remember that. The Blu-ray standard came out after lots of fighting, and then the industry finally agreed that everybody's DVD player needed to actually play all the DVDs that were available. It's kind of like what's going on with electric battery recharging stations in the United States. There's a bunch of standards, and when you show up to plug your car in, if it doesn't fit, well, you're out of luck. Or the charging standard for your smartphone if you've got an iphone and your friend has a has an android well you can't charge each other's phones well standards get formed in the marketplace when it comes to the currency it has to be formed by the central bank and that's what's happening here it's just a standard for the digitization of money and the ramifications are overwhelming uh, and, and we'll go there. I don't have no question. We'll go there. I don't question it's going to happen. And it's I don't question like it's a, needed. It's kind of like a paperless office though. It may take a lot longer than expected to get done. Yeah, but we have a bunch of filing cabinets. Do we still have those filing cabinets? No, we're, we have filing cabinets that are majority of which are empty. Now we are finally getting to that mythical status that was promised in the mid 90s of eventually we will have a paperless office except we still print yeah. things out and then scan them back in and shred them <laughs> 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 we have our own recycling system in the office right. we shred it and it gets printed out into new stuff yeah anyway, anyway we have another question from inquisitor john uh and uh I'll, do, do you want to prep this one sure. up and get this one going John sent us again an article. Uh, it's from the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal uh, from August 18th. That couldn't be the 18th. must be the something. I can't read the number on there. Okay. Um, it, how your retirement account got politicized. Well, it really didn't get politicized. But the point is, his question is, are fund, mutual fund managers fiduciaries? Yes, it's they the, are fiduciaries. It's August 13th and 14th. It is the, okay. the weekend edition. Okay, so it's not, the it's not the 14th yet. Anyway, it's, so he sent us an edition from the future. The, um, yes, yes. <laughs> An opinion from the future, ladies and gentlemen. Right. The, by law, the manager of a... Mutual fund, presuming when we say mutual fund, we're talking about an, uh, a fund registered under the Investment Company Act of 1940, is a fiduciary. Now, the the gist of the article is that certain mutual fund managers have a political opinion. I would say most mutual fund managers have a political opinion. But as long as they stated in the prospectus that this is what we're going to do with the fund, 
we're going to be ESG. We're going to be we're going to be green friendly. We're going to be uh, we're only going to buy uh, stocks and companies that sell weapons and drugs or something. I don't know whatever yeah, they wanted yeah. to do, as long as they stated in the prospectus. If they follow what's in the prospectus, and it has to be stated in the objective part of the perspective, which is just one paragraph long and fairly easy to read, it's not like right. the rest of it. It's it's clearly stated that here's what we're going to do, and they do it. They are being a fiduciary. That's exactly the definition of fiduciary: is to do what you said you were going to do in the best interest of the shareholders. Now, let me come at and, this real quick and add to that. The CEO of any publicly traded company is a fiduciary as well. Right. But we have to say, who is the fiduciary to? So the fiduciary at a mutual fund company is to generally the shareholders, not specifically. So if the objective of the mutual fund is we're going to only buy cryptocurrency, which there are no 1940 Act mutual funds that do that right now. I'm using an absurd example. And the fact that I have to explain that it's absurd means I'm really a nerd. Um, so say that, that we only invest in cryptocurrencies. Well, if an 87-year-old retiree puts their money there, that doesn't mean that the manager is looking out for that 87-year-old retiree. They're doing what the objective of the company is, the objective of the fund. If IBM... CEO makes a decision, they're not doing it because there's a 37-year-old mother of three that's a shareholder. They're doing it for the interests of the shareholders in general. It's a different type of fiduciary than custom fiduciary just for you. Uh, that's why there's a perspective that people should read and understand before investing, because it says what they're doing in there. And they have to act according to what they said in the prospectus. It's big penalties for not doing so. Anyway, back to you on that subject. So, yes, they are definitely uh, fiduciaries. And for whatever it's worth, the opinion article, opinion articles, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal and everywhere else do not have to stick to the facts. Correct. Um, no, they, nor does anybody can, else. They just try to. Right. Uh, the opinion articles are going to present one side of a of a story and the wall street journal tends to be somewhat right of center in its opinion article. Now I like its news articles. They tend to be well-balanced and factual, but, uh, the article is about a manager who, uh, supposedly is politicized, but isn't, yeah. I mean, well, let me, let me hit everybody that. Everybody has an opinion about just, what's important. Just, let me and if you, if you can, wait a minute, if you can market something to a group of people who want to buy the shares and will pay you to manage money in shares and companies that have a certain characteristic, I don't consider that to be political because a person could be a right-wing politically oriented person, but determine that there's a lot of people who want to invest in, in uh, green ESG companies and start a fund focused on green ESG companies so they can make money. I'm going to say something controversial in an uncontroversial way. Anything is politics. As soon as we have cities, we have politics. As soon as people gather in groups of more than one, we have politics. The politics may mean something different from one person to another. One person's politics might be about cannabis, while another one's about climate change and another one's about abortion. So they could sit together and not argue about anything and agree on everything, but have completely different politics. Politics, it's an old Greek word. It means 
a walled city or a citadel, Acropolis, polis, polis. All of that comes back from when people come together in a group. So yes, what is a mutual fund other than people coming together in a group supposedly for a common purpose? But it is kind of the definition of the word politics. They're making a decision for a large group of people. And it just as a side note, to cover both sides of the political spectrum here, this is the same rationale that's given for a company being a person because the company is made up of people. It's politics to say a company is a person, but if you limit the speech of a company, you're really limiting the speech of all the shareholders. If you limit the speech of a union, you're limiting the speech of all of the union members. So when you talk about a mutual fund, you have to think there's a stated objective and the manager's job as a fiduciary is to work toward that stated objective. There. Very nerdly answer to a a radical concept of politics and so on. It's like, yes, everything's politics. Reading the entire article, which I have done very quickly here, there is an argument, and the argument is made in the article, is that BlackRock, Vanguard, and was it Fidelity? BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street managed a combined total of some 20 trillion assets Mm-hmm. much of which is in S&P 500 index funds, which are considered to be neutral, non-managed investments. However, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street vote the shares in the stocks they hold. Correct. And thereby affected ExxonMobil Corporation's board of directors in a manner that the article writer, uh, the, the opinion article writer, uh, thought was... Um, James Taranto, whoever that is, thought was politically oriented at one point. Well, and, and I'll, I'll answer that to say it is politically oriented. One form of politics always is the creation and non-taxability of wealth. I think everybody would agree to that, that, that taxation on wealth is politics. Um, how the money is spent is politics. One thing that should be very clear is that Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and all the rest, if they're voting their their shareholders' ownership of the shares at Exxon, should be doing it for the betterment of the overall investments held by their own shareholders. If they think by changing the politics of Exxon that will lead to greater pol- greater wealth for their shareholders, specifically for the funds that they manage for their shareholders, then that's why they should be voting it. But that's why politics is there anyway. You don't vote for somebody because you think it's going to make the world a worse place. This is where we get into weirdness when you start talking about politics and money, is that everything is politics. If you're buying a company because you believe that what they're making is profitable or will be profitable and they're doing something like electric cars, that could be political. You're pregnant with thought. Go ahead and give birth. Well, I want to talk about the article. There's a false premise in the article. Yes. Premise starts with the fact that investing in S&P 500 index funds is a good idea. Uh, Okay. It's a socialist idea. some, Some people have said that that's a good idea. 
but it then takes that as the basis of the argument that your your retirement account is politicized because the people who manage $20 trillion worth of S&P 500 index funds voted a certain way, probably because they thought it was economically the right idea. Uh, you don't have to invest in that S&P 500 index fund. Nobody is holding a gun to your head and say, invest in the S&P 500 index fund. Nobody told, so it isn't your retirement account got politicized. It is a matter of you have the opportunity to choose in a retirement account if you're doing a defined contribution retirement account, which funds you invest in. If you choose not to choose and you let somebody else choose for you, yes, uh, whoever chooses for you is going to choose whatever they think is best. So the argument that that this guy makes that your um, retirement account is politicized silly and, well and let I mean, me I, I'm, I'm gonna come and say a different piece to that it's the same thing that you're saying the stock market the bond market is monetized democracy you've got to pay to play you can't just show up and, and vote because you're a certain age or something you have to buy shares in order, order to vote them you have to buy shares in order to say who's a good board member to appoint executives at that corporation. If you're willing to buy the share for the vote and then don't like how that vote's going, go to a different place. I mean, this is you so, if you truly disagree with the politics of the place you're investing in, but they're making you a lot of money, then you shouldn't complain about it. If, if you truly disagree with them and you don't like that they're making you a lot of money, you can go somewhere else. If they're losing money and you disagree on their politics, uh, you should go somewhere else. This is, this is a free market. It really is a free market, pay-to-play democracy in the stock market. And if you're complaining about the place you're investing being politicized in a way you don't want it to be, there's a very simple answer to that. Take responsibility to where you're investing of where you're investing and say, this is what I want to do. Recognize that there might be costs associated with that. You, you, you're moving around like you yeah. have something to say. Well, I wanted to go on about what I was talking about before. Okay. The article is about a Mr. Ramaswamy who uh, is who is investing in oil companies, uh, who is starting funds that invest in oil companies, and who is very uh, prejudiced, clearly, in favor of fossil fuels. Uh, because, and when I say prejudice, it's real simple. If, you, if the fossil fuel price shares go up, then his fund values will go up and he'll make more money. That's pretty clear. And it's something to be aware of when you read one of these. See where the slant is. See what who is going to benefit from it? Um, yes, I'm aware of the fact that the big companies who manage the S&P 500 index funds have been urging Exxon, among others, to move away from fossil fuels. Why? Well, if you look at the fact that both the United States and Europe by 2035 are mandating a substantial reduction in the use of fossil fuels, Having a company that focuses ex exclusively on fossil fuel drilling might not be in the long-term best interest of the shareholders. Yeah, and and so the shareholders come in and they say, hey, you need to be looking at alternative. If you're going to remain an energy company, Exxon, you need to have people who are looking at something other than drilling for oil.
And, that, and I think that that's a very reasonable thing. Right. That isn't making a statement about whether the mandate is correct or not, uh, whether it is appropriate or not. It's simply the law of the land in Europe. Therefore, you got to act like it. If you say, I don't like the law and we still intend to be profitable, those two statements don't go together. In the meantime, before we wrap up, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, our email addresses individually, or if you'd like to, us to talk about it on the air, jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, uh, or the personal wealth coach. You can get voicemail at 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526, 800-914-PLAN. We give individualized investment advice to people as well. I know we don't talk about that much on the air, but we do. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, and sign up for newsletters, uh, read them there, or get them delivered. You can uh, listen to podcasts going back, listen to old radio programs. Call us when we're wrong. Look back. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.